You're listening to The End Zone with your hosts, Javon Cutler and Will Cruz, bringing you the latest sports news from across the country. And on this Tuesday, February 11th, 2020, live from Weagle Studios here in Auburn, Alabama, you're listening to another edition of The End Zone. I'm Javon Cutler, holding it down for today. Got plenty to talk about on the show as we've got some Auburn basketball to recap after a crazy finish in the Auburn versus LSU game this past Saturday. We're also going to look forward to the huge rematch between Auburn and Alabama in which Auburn's looking to get revenge after Alabama handed it to them in Tuscaloosa. But also we've got to focus on some NBA as well. Talk about the latest news from around the National Basketball Association. And last but not least, we'll probably even touch on some XFL action as there is another new football league that has sprung up, and this one's got positive reviews, so we'll focus on that as well. But first, for sure, we got to recap the Auburn versus LSU game. An absolutely crazy finish toward the end of that game. Went into overtime. Auburn eventually pulled out the game via a Javon McCormick little overtime basket floater with one second, one-tenth of a second, I should say, remaining in the game to give Auburn the 91 to 90 advantage over LSU so for Auburn this moves them into sole possession of first place in the SEC via that tiebreaker with LSU and Auburn also got their 21st win of the season they did not even get 20 wins until March for last season's team so they are already on a great progression of this season and it just shows you how resilient this Auburn team is and the narrative seems to be the same every game for Auburn they pretty much start off the game slow and have to kind of claw their way back. And sometimes it's worked. Sometimes it has not. The two times it's not worked were at Alabama and they fell in a huge hole. And then at Florida where they fell in another huge hole. But other than that, they've been pretty resilient as far as coming back from huge leads. But this game was a tough one because we all know LSU is a really good team. Got a great starting five. Skylar Mays played a great game. He had 30 points on eight of 16 shooting from the field. He made 100% of his free throws, so he had almost a triple-double, actually. 30.7 rebounds, as well as 8 assists, so he had a big game for the Tigers, but for the other Tigers of Auburn, they had some huge contributions from themselves as well as like a Samir Dowdy, who really stepped up toward the end of that second half and overtime period to kind of carry the Tigers on his back, knocking down some clutch three-point shots to help Auburn get into overtime at least, and then McCormick driving down the middle of the paint, shooting that nice little floater to give Auburn the lead and the win. You can't discount his contributions from the team either. He almost had a triple-double in this game. But it was one of these games where Auburn, I think, really needed it because they've been kind of knocked for their lack of conference strength of schedule, I should say, and also strength of schedule in general, where lots of teams they've beaten might not be in the NCAA tournament this year. And the teams they have beaten as well, they're not possibly the name brand teams that you would think of, even though they might make the tournament, such as like a Davidson, who they played earlier in the season, supposed to be a really good team in their respective conference, as well as the South Alabama, who's supposed to be really good. But of course, they're not going to be qualified as great wins if you're looking at the bracket tournament. But for Auburn, I think this LSU game, they for sure needed it. There's not that many solid SEC teams as far as rankings go. I mean, Auburn, LSU... And Kentucky and LSU's now hanging on by a thread to that top 25 status as they're number 25. Auburn still at number 11, surprisingly, but they're 
still in a good spot, I feel like, to get at least a three seed in the NCAA tournament. I know that's what they're projected to get right now. So that's something to look out for. But for Auburn, I think that they did a great job as far as coming back in this game, not panicking, and knocking down some threes, which is something that this team has not been known for this year. They're one of the teams that are going to attack you inside and knock down some threes occasionally. It's not like last year's team where they had a Bryce Brown, Jared Harper, even a Chumo Kiki at times to knock down crucial threes for your team. I mean, Samir Dowdy's been solid this year, but sometimes he has his lulls and cold streaks where nothing seems going right for him. And Javon McCormick, he's still trying to adjust to the starting point guard role. And he's been good at times and other times it's been a bit of a head scratching situation, but he's been looking better as of late. And also, of course, you have the future NBA lottery pick, Isaac Okoro, who sometimes he shows aggression, sometimes he doesn't. So there's moments in time where you wonder why isn't he more aggressive with his frame and sometimes he uses that frame to his advantage to overpower his opponents. But for the Tigers, this was, like I said, a great win for them. And now for them is is a match against Alabama, who they lost to earlier in the season. And that game was just off by many standards for the Tigers. They didn't shoot the ball well at all. And Alabama just took it to them in Tuscaloosa. It was actually Auburn's first loss of the season. So Alabama gave Auburn something to remember by. It was an 83-64 loss to be specific. And in that game, Auburn just didn't look themselves at all. They only shot 31.7% from field goal percentage-wise, only 25% from three-point range. So they were for sure off, and Alabama just didn't they didn't shoot that well either. I mean, they were only about 29% from three-point range, 43% from the field overall. But what Auburn was killed by were the turnovers where Auburn had 21 turnovers compared to just 15 for Alabama. That was a huge point of emphasis for Auburn was to try to limit their turnovers because that that point in the season, they weren't really playing collectively as a unit. There's a lot of sloppy play from both point guards as well as everybody on the team. And Alabama has a faster style of pace. That's what people feel like are forgetting. They have a new coach now, Nate Oates, came over from Buffalo he always has a high-flying type of offense for the players to go by compared to what Avery Johnson did last few years at Alabama. But I think that played a huge role for Alabama's maintaining their fast pace of play because we know Auburn can get up and down the court as well, but sometimes they like to slow it down a little bit, play a little bit of isolation ball. But Auburn was unable to do that against this Alabama team. And Alabama right now, they're not looking that great they're 13 and 10 overall so they've slipped back a little bit since they've last faced the Tigers I do expect this one to be a great game though I think Auburn has a great shot to win this one and put some make some noise I think because there's still going to be some doubters that saying that we still don't know the legitimacy of this Auburn team and you honestly might not find out the legitimacy of this Auburn team until they play perhaps a Tennessee on February 22nd and 11 a.m. game but we'll see what happens as far as that but looking at Auburn's future schedule right now got Alabama playing tomorrow then they go to Missouri to Georgia play Tennessee at home as well as Ole Miss at home then the big test is going to Rupp Arena to play at Kentucky and you know Kentucky's going to have some revenge on their mind after losing to Auburn here in Auburn Arena then they play Texas A&M here at home and then finally the season finale is at Tennessee on March 7th. So the Auburn Tigers, I feel like they have a favorable schedule. 
I could honestly see them maybe only losing one game, possibly two. Maybe at Tennessee, they might lose that one. But I could see Kentucky trying to get their revenge and doing a great job because Kentucky at Rupp Arena is a whole different animal compared to Kentucky on the road. You know Coach Cal is going to have his players prepared and ready for that game. So I could honestly see Auburn running the table minus Kentucky and maybe at Tennessee. Depends if the how the other teams in the conference are doing. But compared to but going back to Auburn versus Alabama solely, I think that Auburn will be focused. I think you're going to have some great contributions from Samir Dowdy. Also, Isaac Okoro is going to step up. Also have some bench play from Anthony McAmore as well as a Devin Cambridge who knocked down some good crucial threes. And he's been known to do that this season, growing into his role surely, slowly but surely as a freshman. So we'll see what he does as far as that. But Auburn right now, I mean, they're, they're still the talk, I feel like, of the SEC as nobody expected them, I think, to be this good despite losing all that talent. When you lose your top three players and you're kind of bound for a rebuild, some people would assume. And there was some big-time hype over teams such as Florida, who came in ranked as number 16 overall in the country. They've slipped to an unranked team and have had their struggles under Coach Mike White. And then there's always Kentucky, who has had their ups and downs, most notably their down being a loss to Evansville early in the season at Rupp Arena. That has been an anomaly for this program. But Auburn being steady, I mean, they... Don't wow you with anything. They're just a gritty team. Bruce Pearl's done a great job kind of putting his imprint on this team, making sure that they're focused, making sure that they play hard for one another. They don't give up anything easy. And I think that it's going to bode well for Auburn heading into this matchup against Alabama. Like I said, it's going to be a rematch. And it's going to be a revenge type of rematch for Auburn. So you know they're going to try to do their best to avenge that loss because it was not a great loss you never want to lose to your in-state rival especially in their building and you know that they were going to brag about it and make a spectacle out of it but for Auburn I think they're going to be much more focused on this one the key for Auburn I think in this game is to stop a Kyra Lewis Jr. who's averaging 17 points per game and around five assists per game and also a John Petty who we know is a marksman three-point shooter been that way his whole college career He's doing a great job rebounding the ball. He has over seven rebounds a game, so he makes his imprint on the on all parts of his repertoire as well. And Auburn, they have an advantage, I think, that Alabama can't match up with this time, and it's Austin Wiley. Wiley's averaging almost a double-double this season. He has nine rebounds, around 10-ish points, and I think that he's going to have to be physical in this game to match up against Alabama. And if they clog the paint, you're going to have to kick it out to the shooters, and the shooters are going to have to make their shots. It's, that's just simple. simply put that Auburn's going to have to knock down their shots to win this game. They're predicted to win 80%, I mean, according to this ESPN matchup predictor, so that's something to be said right there. And if you look at Alabama's stats as a team, they don't play that great of a defense. They're allowing 78 points per game, so that's something to be concerned with. And... Auburn should dominate on the blocks as well as they're averaging over five per game. So I think that Auburn is in great shape to not only win this game, but also take control of the SEC in general and run away possibly with the regular season crown, which would be their second SEC regular season crown in three years, which is quite an accomplishment for a Bruce Pearl led team. And considering what Auburn's been through the past few years, as far as kind of being in the basement of the SEC to now 
going toward the top penthouse level of SEC elite, that is quite an accomplishment, you would say, for an Auburn Tigers team. Well, with that being said, we've reached the end of the first quarter here on the end zone. Don't touch that dial. End your day with the end zone. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the end zone with Cutler and Cruz. And welcome back to the end zone. You've reached the second quarter here on Weagle 91.1 FM. And the second quarter for today is going to focus on NBA basketball. Not much going on in the NBA right now. The trade deadline has gone and passed. Each team has made their moves, whether it be uh, acquisition that they feel like they can improve as far as the future or something they could do right now. And some teams stayed put, such as the Lakers, for instance. The Lakers are currently holding on to the top spot in the Western Conference. They're still sitting pretty, but it's getting kind of close if you want to be honest about it. I mean, they're only three games up on the Denver Nuggets, who are in second place. Clippers are three and a half games behind the Lakers, so it's not cushy as it is in the Eastern Conference where the Milwaukee Bucks have a nice little six-and-a-half game lead on the Toronto Raptors. So I think one of the big surprises that people had was that the Lakers didn't make any moves at the trade deadline, and it does surprise it surprises me a little bit too because you would think that they would try to add to their roster to bolster it a little bit for the playoffs because you know that you're going to face the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Jazz, or Rockets, or whoever in the playoffs, and you know you're going to need as much depth as necessary to beat one of these teams. The Rockets, I probably say the team would be not as worried about because you never know what Rockets team you're going to get, especially now with this small ball era type looking roster that the Rockets have assembled where P.J. Tucker is playing the five and you have guys who are at the most 6'8", six, 6'9", six, I think, on the team that are playing meaningful minutes. So that's something to look out for for the Rockets. But the Lakers decided to stay put at the trade deadline while the Clippers added... Marcus Morris from the Knicks, who's having a career year. He had over 19 points a game, was shooting 44% from three-point range. So he was putting up great number or solid numbers, I should say, on a team that's not going anywhere in the New York Knicks. But the Knicks decided to unload him, ship, ship him West Coast. And now he'll be part of a vaunted bench that also still includes Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. So they're making moves out there in Clipper for the Clippers, but the Lakers... They still have a LeBron. They still have, of course, uh, Anthony Davis. Still have Rondo and all those veteran players. So they might be relying on that to, in order to get them toward the promised land, which is the NBA Finals, which could happen. And they're still, I know, among the favorites to get to the finals. But I think I would be a little worried if I was a Lakers fan because you never know what is going to happen as far as this team because you, an injury might happen that comes out of nowhere and now you're kind of stuck with the roster that you're dealt with and I think the Lakers should have gone out and gotten another point guard in my opinion because we all know Rondo is a solid point guard and a playmaker as far as his assist but he's never been known as a great shooter and he can be spotty at times I know he had 23 points last night I believe but you can't count on 20 plus point performances from Rondo every single time and it's going to be hard especially when LeBron goes out because He's a playmaker, and when you when you have LeBron on the bench, 
you lose your playmaking ability from a guy you could shoot and pass the ball. And I think that's a mistake the Lakers are going to regret. I know I've heard rumors that they tried to get a Derrick Rose perhaps in the trade deadline or even a Spencer Dinwiddie, but those price tags were going to be too high, I think, for the Lakers to match. And I don't think they would have been able to stomach the fact of giving Kyle Kuzma away, who's on a really cheap contract. He's only making $2 million per year this year as he is still under his rookie deal. So I think that would have made the Lakers kind of queasy as far as do we really want to do this deal or not? But once again with Kuzma, he's a solid player. I mean, don't get me wrong. He is a solid uh, a solid offensive player at times, but his defense is a liability, and he's a streaky shooter. I mean, some nights he's off, and then some nights he's really cold. I think that's due to the fact that he doesn't get as much playing time as he did the last or the past few years because now, of course, the Lakers kind of retooled their roster heading into this season, and Kuzma's been relegated to more of a bench role, doesn't get as many minutes, so he can't really get into the game flow as fast as he wants to, and sometimes that hurts his performances. Like Sometimes you'll see excellent, efficient performances by him, and other times you'll see not-so-great performances that leave you scratching your head. So I think that hurt the Lakers as well, but they're still a good team. I mean, they have 40 wins, 12 losses, so they should have no problems getting at least 50 wins, I figure. Maybe even 55, creeping towards 60. But I think that this team, in their lack of, I'd say, another playmaker outside of LeBron, is going to hurt them. And also, another quick tidbit before I switch to another NBA topic, I think that Anthony Davis needs to be more aggressive because we all know that he's a really skilled big man. He's able to knock down the three, able to post people up and knock down the little mid-range shots. But you just sometimes are questioning why you don't see more aggression from him as far as like attacking the paint and knocking down or at least like doing floaters and stuff like that and posting people up making shots off shots off the backboard because we all know he's a skillful big man like I said but the game against Houston was a great example of that because we all know Houston's small ball lineup just referred to that he didn't really in my opinion go as aggressive as he should have it was still more relying on your kind of fadeaway shots your jump shots, three-point shots, mid-range shots, however you want to categorize it. And it just didn't work out. And I thought that he could have been much more aggressive inside the paint and really taking it taking it to the Rockets, who were lacking a truly big man at the time, and they still lack one. So I think if AD gets more aggressive and the Lakers somehow develop another playmaker out of whoever it might be, it could be a Caruso or even Rondo if he continues the shoot the ball at a decent clip. I think that'll be a huge, huge improvement for the team. But speaking of teams, one franchise that nobody's talked about, and this is really befuddling to me, is the Toronto Raptors, who have won, believe it or not, 15 straight games. They're currently 40 and 14, second place behind Milwaukee, but nobody talks about Toronto. That's the one team that's been left out of finals conversations and that's considering they made the finals last year and won the whole thing despite having a Kawhi Leonard on the team. Kawhi's gone but still this team is well put together. I mean they've still got a Kyle Lowry as far as a veteran point guard. You've got a Pascal Siakam who's continuing to ascend into one of the top players in the league and he's averaging a great amount of points on the season putting up great stats averaging almost 24 points to be exact. Still have a Serge Ibaka who's doing great as far as field goal position percentage you got a Fred Van Vliet who's growing comfortably into that starting position as well he came off the bench many years but now he's 
settling into a nice little two guard spot with Lowry. We've also got uh, OG Ananobi who's growing, uh, Terrence Davis who's been a great rookie for them. They just have a lot of weapons that nobody talks about. And they're one of these teams that are balanced as well. They're ninth in points per game at 113 points. They also are fifth in points allowed at just under 107 points per game. So they play offense and defense. They're not w- afraid to share the ball as they're ninth in assist with 25.7, rounded up to 26. So this team is really balanced and nobody really talks about them that much. And I think it's just because of Milwaukee. Milwaukee's been the toast of the town host of the NBA this whole season, led by Giannis and his plethora of shooters that he has around him. But Toronto, they're going to be a tough out in the playoffs. And this is something I think people have had in the thought in the back of their mind, but they just don't really want to realize it or recognize it yet because everybody figured it'd be one of these Eastern Conference races where clearly Milwaukee's the top. And then you have teams that are trying to get there, such as a Boston who might do it or even a Philadelphia but Philadelphia has been a disappointment this year that's one team that I thought would have played much better this year but they have yet to really kind of taken that leap especially on the road I mean they're 9 and 19 on the road this year which is believe it or not the same record as the New York Knicks road record so that's something to kind of roll your eyes at or whatever and then you also have they have a great home record but at 24 and 2, but of course, in the playoffs, you can't play all your games at home. You're going to have to win some road games in order to advance to the next round. So that's something that the 76ers, I think, have to fix. And it just seems like a chemistry problem between Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and whoever else is on the team. Because Embiid, of course, a skillful big man himself, but still has a questionable injury history. Got a Ben Simmons who is a solid player but it just seems like he's afraid to shoot the ball outside the paint even trying a jump shot and that won't work well if your point guard and your starting big man and your star big man are kind of clogging up the center because then that leaves shooters and they don't have reliable shooters to go and pass the ball to like they did last year with a JJ Redick for instance they don't have that type of guy anymore so they're gonna have to figure out crafty ways to do it and you can't win games when You have to rely on your big men to shoot threes and hope that they make some clutch threes. I mean, Al Horford's been a solid player for many years in this league, but you can't trust him to make 45% of his three-pointers or something like that or lead a team past somebody in the first round because of his shooting. So I think the 76ers missed out on the trade deadline by not getting more shooting. And they've had some, like I said, previous teams where they've had decent shooting. I mean, even a Landry Shamit who they had who's now on the Clippers I think they're gonna they regret that move a little bit because Tobias Harris has been a good player and they signed him to that max contract but at times he's been inconsistent and hasn't lived up to that 100 plus million dollar contract and it's I think hurting them a bit and we'll see what happens as far as the 76ers but I just don't have much trust in them I do have trust in Toronto Raptors because they are a playoff proven roster Minus Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, they've pretty much kept everybody else from that finals winning team, and they still look solid. Like I said, they've implemented some new rookies into their system. Some nice little veteran bench role players such as Rondé Hollis-Jefferson has made differences as well for Toronto, so I would watch out for the Raptors as far as possibly being that sneaky team, if possible, to knock off the Bucks. We all know what the Raptors did last year, knocked off the Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. 
Of course, it's a different year, different bit of a different team, but I still think that the Raptors have what it takes to possibly make some noise and be surprising. And not a lot of people would expect a 15-game winning streak from the Raptors. It's just gone completely under the radar because of the accomplishments of Milwaukee. Boston's won seven in a row. Miami's having a really surprising season. Philadelphia, like I said, struggling a little bit. Pacers still trying to get their feet wet with the return of Victor Oladipo. And then the Nets and Magic are just hanging in the kind of back cellar as far as the playoffs are concerned at the 7 and 8 seeds, respectively. But we'll see what happens as far as the rest of the NBA and the playoff seedings and how they shake out. Or with that being said, this has been the end of the second quarter here on The End Zone. Don't touch that dial. End your day with the end zone. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the end zone with Cutler and Cruz. And welcome back. You've reached the third quarter of the end zone here on WeGo 91.1 FM. And the third quarter for today is going to feature NFL football. There's not much going on as far as actual playing because of the Super Bowl that happened a few weeks ago. The Chiefs over the 49ers, if you missed out on that. But there's some free agency news to talk about. And most notably, the past few days, and specifically yesterday, was Philip Rivers is going to be testing free agency for the first time in his career after playing 16 years with the Chargers, who drafted him back in 2004. So now Rivers and Tom Brady are both free agents. And Rivers, he's an interesting case because he's put up great numbers. He's been an eight-time Pro Bowler. He's top 10 in passing yards and passing touchdowns. But something that might hold him back from possibly making the Hall of Fame is the lack of not only a Super Bowl, but also a Super Bowl appearance. He's never been to a Super Bowl, and he has the most touchdown passes in history without ever making a Super Bowl appearance with 397. So Rivers has been a really solid quarterback for a long time in this league. He just hasn't put up those type of, I guess, accolades that you're looking for from a quarterback that should be a Super Bowl or Super or Hall of Famer. But he's still one of these guys that you could deliver for a team. He, I think he still has maybe a year or two left in him. I don't know if you could milk three or four more years out of Rivers, but he's been durable. That's something that stands out. He's been out there for 224 consecutive games, which is the second longest consecutive game streak by a quarterback and is trailing Brett Favre who played for 297 consecutive games when he played back in the day but for Rivers it's going to be interesting to see what he does as far as his next move I know there's been some links to a Florida team because he did move his family from California to Florida and that is something that might make people think that hey he might be a Buccaneer or even a Jaguar, those things with Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew don't work out. But I think it's just a little bit of noise right now. But the Buccaneers one does kind of pique my interest because we all know what's happening with Jameis Winston, his contract, and he might be franchise as far as like a franchise tag, and he might not be. It all depends on what Bruce Arians thinks is the best decision for the team. And I think that it would be interesting to see Rivers in Buccaneer uniform because he could get his career rejuvenated and playing in a whole different conference playing in NFC South where you have 
a declining quarterback and Drew Brees, who's probably playing his last year this year with the Saints. So the Saints are probably still the favorites in the NFC South. You have the Falcons, who are having a couple of down years. They're trying to rebuild and get themselves back to at least NFC playoff relevancy. Then you have the Panthers, who we don't know what they're even going to do with Cam Newton as well because they got a new whole, a whole new regime in Charlotte with Matt Rule as the coach and Court, they might draft a quarterback. You never know. Like I said, they might let Cam go, but we'll see what happens there. But Rivers to the Buccaneers might be something that they're looking at because they have good receivers in Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. They both put up over 1,000 yards last year. Running back situation is solid with Peyton Barber and Ronald Jones, so that's something. The defense played better than people would expect them to last year, and I think it all depends if they could re-sign Shaq Barrett or not, who had... 19 and a half sacks last year to break the franchise record. But I think if they could do something as far as revamping the defense while possibly even drafting a running back in this draft, then the Buccaneers might have the work makings of a team who might be sneaky good and get a wild card spot. And the only thing holding them back is a quarterback because we all know Winston, while he does have his good moments, 33 touchdowns, he also has his poor choice moments, 30 interceptions. So it's a kind of contrast right there. With that. I don't know if Buccaneers fans are tired of seeing. I imagine they would be. Maybe they want fresh, I'd say a fresh voice in the locker room. And we know Rivers is one of the most intense quarterbacks as far as kind of getting in your face and playing up to expectations. And Bruce Arians has done works with veteran quarterbacks before. He was the, the coach in Arizona when Carson Palmer was kind of getting his career rejuvenated and the Cardinals made a couple of playoff runs, even made it to the NFC Championship game before losing to the Panthers. But still, he was able to kind of milk out the last few years of Carson Palmer's career. And he might do the same with Phillip Rivers, who, like I say, has been really durable. That's something that you can't ignore. And he had a really down year last year, but he still threw for over 4,600 yards. He had 23 touchdowns, 20 interceptions. The Chargers were a disappointment last year, let's face it, after making the playoffs the year before. But I think that the Buccaneers' possible situation for Phillip Rivers would be interesting, and I think that it would work if Rivers were to do that. But going back to another quarterback, I know we talked about this on the show last week, but also Tom Brady. His news is interesting because we don't know what he's going to do as far as his free agency move. There's been talk that he might go to the... He might remain a Patriot or he might go to Oakland or Las Vegas, I should say now, because the Vegas Raiders are a thing. And I know John Gruden is pretty keen on Tom Brady and he wants to kind of get a marquee type of quarterback to pair with him in Las Vegas because Derek Carr has not gotten the job done ever since Gruden's been the coach. But I don't think that would be a great move because of his age. That's just something I don't think would be great but it's something to kind of keep your eye out for for something like that but going back to more some more nfl news before the break reading these espn headlines it says that Taysom hill who's a restricted free agent considers himself a franchise quarterback but he would leave the saints for a right opportunity and Taysom hill of course is the quarterback for the orleans saints right now but he's also used in a variety of ways you've seen him as a running back it's a wide receiver, tight end, I mean, wildcat quarterback. He just plays, even special teams, he plays all over the field basically. But I guess he values himself that he could be 
something special for a particular franchise if it's not the Saints. And I know Sean Payne has made some headlines saying that once Drew Brees retires, he might hand over the franchise to Taysom Hill as quarterback. And I don't know if that would be the best of decisions because Hill has made some solid throws, but I don't know if he could do that 30 times a game or however many times they ask him to throw the ball. And also, I don't know if they're going to want to sign Hill, who is a restricted free agent, or they might just let him walk because they also have to worry about Alvin Kamara's contract, who's coming up real soon. And we all know how valuable the running back position is in the NFL. Sometimes it's hard to find a good running back, especially what Kamara does on the field as far as not only being a solid running back carrying the ball, but also being a good receiving running back out the backfield as well. So the Saints are kind of in a bit of a predicament right now. And Taysom Hill, I think if he leaves, I don't think it's going to put a huge dent in the Saints offense because they still have, of course, Michael Thomas. I think you think the Saints need to draft a number two receiver because they're going to have to rely on somebody to also get open. I mean, Ted Ginn Jr. has been a solid receiver for many years, but he's had his share of drops. And his speed has always kind of overshadowed the fact that he does drop a lot of balls every season. So I think for the Saints, they're going to have to think of something to do as far as their free agency concerns. But I don't know how much a quarterback like Taysom Hill would command in the market. I would maybe guess around 10-ish million dollars, maybe 10 to 12, because like I said, you have a small sample size of what he's done as a quarterback in the NFL. He was a quarterback in college for BYU, but that was a while ago. And you don't know if he's going to be up to, like I said, throw the ball 30 times a game or however many times is asked of him. So I don't know if the Saints are going to be reluctant to let him go or they're just going to try to re-sign him for a little bit of a cheap contract for at least a year or so and then hand him the franchise over. But I think that it is something that the Saints are going to figure out. I mean, they're a smart franchise and they know what's best for the team. They still have a bit of a Super Bowl window, but it's closing ever so slightly. I think they've got maybe one or two years left in that Super Bowl window before something happens as far as like Drew Brees retirement or some unhappy players or players are going to leave free agency to head somewhere else. So the time in the clock is kind of ticking for New Orleans. But going back to some more news in the NFL, Redskins defensive player, starting cornerback, Quinn Dunbar, is dissatisfied with his contract and he wants to be traded or released at his request. He has one year left on his contract. The salary is only about $3.25 million, and none of that's guaranteed, so I figure that's the reason why he doesn't want to really be on this team anymore. They have a new head coach, Ron Rivera, a whole new front office, so the Redskins are trying to kind of clean house and get rid of that stench that was left by the previous regime of Jay Gruden and Bruce Allen. And I think that Rivera is going to do a good job with this Redskins team with that because they do have some pieces to work with, but I guess Dunbar isn't happy with his role and he wants to get paid more money, especially only getting $3 million a year. But he said that he talked with the previous administration about an extension, but there's been no contact with Rivera since he was hired after the season. And it says to the Redskins, if they don't honor his request and no extension is signed before training camp, Dunbar will play out his final season and sign elsewhere. So there still might be a case where he decides to play the final season just so he doesn't lose any money and he gets his $3 million plus of non-guaranteed. 
But there's also some reports saying that he's not going to participate in spring OTA workouts. And he's they're voluntary, so there's nothing major about that. But this Redskins team is still a bit in a bit of turmoil, especially regarding a Trent Williams, who was their starting star offensive tackle, who did not play at all last year. He had some doubts about the team and their medical practices, misdiagnosing him with something, and it was much more serious than that. So there's some distrust in the organization between Williams and the Redskins, and now it seems like Dunbar does not trust the Redskins at all. He wants a new place, perhaps to get obviously to get some more money, I would assume. And you never know what could happen because he could get injured and lack guaranteed money. That's no security at all for his future and his family. So I could totally see what's happening as far as him and his situation. And the Redskins are already kind of tied up in a money bundle with Josh Norman, who has not lived up to expectations after signing a huge contract coming over from Carolina. But I don't know if the Redskins are going to be apt to release Norman, especially with Ron Rivera coming in, who coached Norman on that Super Bowl winning or that Super Bowl Panthers team. So it's one of these predicaments where you don't know what the Redskins are going to do, but I think they will make the right decision as well. They seem to be in much better shape than they were under Gruden and Allen, but we'll see what happens as far as the Redskins. With that being said, this has been the end of the third quarter here on The End Zone. Don't touch that dial. End your day with The End Zone. We'll be right back after the break. Welcome back to the end zone with Cutler and Cruz. Yeah, hey, welcome back to the end zone here on Wiggle ninety one point one FM. You've reached the fourth quarter. Congratulations! And for the fourth quarter, we've got a brand new league to talk about. Well, it's a brand new league in a sense that it's never it's done before. It's been done before, but it hasn't been done in this way. And it's called the XFL. There was a previous league called the XFL back in the early 2000s, but it only lasted one season. There was a lot of gimmicky type of rules and a weird feel to it, and it did not last. But this is a new reincarnation of the XFL. It's still led by the WWE guy, Vince McMahon. But this league now is much more, I'd say, exciting, and it has a bit more of a archaic, arcade type feel to it and I think it was a pretty successful I'd say inauguration of the XFL a lot of people watched it they've gotten the sponsorship and the backing of some big time TV networks I mean ABC broadcasted the game Fox did two games and then ESPN also did a game as well they've got eight teams to choose from so this league seems like it's in going to be in a good shape Going down the list as far as the scores are concerned, the first ever game of the XFL, uh, the D.C. Defenders won 31-19. The D.C. Defenders were led by ex-Ohio State and National Championship quarterback Cardell Jones. He looked pretty good in that game. Then you also had the Houston Roughnecks playing the L.A. Wildcats. Houston won that game 37-17. So Houston having a good start to their season in LA not so much and LA's even made the rash decision to fire their off their defensive coordinator just one game into the season so there might have been some more underlying things that have been happening but nobody's yet to say anything about that but 
yeah, LA already got rid of their defensive coordinator, which was pretty, yeah, shocking. It's just one game. You'd assume that at least you give a season or at least a few games under their belt to try, but it was something that was weird, and the team just seems like it's out of it's in disarray already because even reading this ESPN article, it says that linebacker and team captain Anthony Johnson tweeted that he is now a free agent, so that he, I guess he might have been released or something might have happened, but you would have thought they would have cleaned this up before the season started, but I guess that it didn't help. Also that they allowed Houston quarterback P.J. Walker to throw four touchdown passes and they let a comeback. He led a comeback because they were down 14 to six at halftime. So some turmoil early for the LA Wildcats. But going back to some scores, the New York Guardians defeated the Tampa Bay Vipers 23 to three. That game being played in New York. And last but not least, the St. Louis Battlehawks won 15 to nine over the Dallas Renegades. So that was the first week of the XFL. It looks like it's going to be one of these leagues. I think that's going to stay. We said the same thing about the AAF, the Alliance of American Football, but it was just some financial kind of backings that didn't work out for that league, and it seems like the money wasn't put in the right place. The attendance was kind of shoddy at times. Some teams did great as far as attendance compared to others, and it just didn't seem like it was a well-put-together product, and I think that's the reason why they had to basically declare for banks rupsy and fold the league, but with the XFL, they've got plenty of money. They have, like I said, national TV sponsors on their side. So that's something to really kind of be proud of. And I think the rules as well have been pretty innovative. I mean, the kickoff rule, they can't really, they have touchbacks, but if you do a touchback, you get penalized for it. And the kickoffs, pretty much both sides are kind of still until the kicker kicks it and the receiver or the returner fields it. And then that's when you could finally kind of get your start as far as trying to tackle the returner. So it seems like a safer way as well. It makes the game exciting because you almost saw a few kickoff returns for a touchdown. And most notably, I think the stark difference between the XFL and the NFL is the kickers because in the XFL, you don't try for extra points via kicking the ball through the uprights. You have a one-point conversion from the two-yard line, a two-point conversion from the five-yard line, or a three-point conversion from the 10-yard line. So it makes the game kind of much more strategic in that manner so some teams might go for one at certain points of the game or if you're down by a lot you might as well just roll the dice and start going for those three-point conversions to see where it could lead you and it might be a victory it might be a loss but you never know because you got to do that gamble but no teams surprisingly did three-point conversion in the first week of the season some teams did two-point conversions and some did of course the traditional one-point conversion but i think that's a great idea because it makes the game a little bit more exciting given the options that are just the standard one extra point, kick it through the uprights. So I think that's going to be something for the NFL to possibly look at. And also something innovative about the XFL is the use of their sideline reporters. In the NFL, of course, you have sideline reporters that maybe interview the coach or a player at halftime and then at the end of the game. But in the XFL, they do it basically after every possession every scoring possession or every turnover or something like that. So it's something to kind of keep your eye out if you are a XFL player because you never know when their silent reporter is going to head straight towards you, even if it's a bad play. I mean, they're going to ask you and be blunt about it like, hey, what happened on that interception? And 
what I've noticed so far, most quarterbacks, they've held their composure and said, this interception, yeah, I threw it because I misread the coverage or something like that. Even on touchdown plays, they are able to get the happiness in all that jazz as far as the players who just scored the touchdown saying like, yeah, that was a great touchdown. It was a great play designed by our coordinator and coach. So I think that's a pretty cool feature that the XFL has done as well as halftime. I mean, halftime is only 10 minutes long compared to 15 minutes long for the NFL. So they're trying to speed up the game a little bit. There's only a 25 second play clock. The clock keeps running pretty much despite even if it's an incomplete pass or anything like that, the clock keeps running. Obviously it stops for like injuries and the two minute warning rules are similar to the NFL as far as the clock stopping. But I think this league is going to be around to stay. And I think that this was a great idea and great planning by the XFL to immediately start the week after the Super Bowl because we all know that the American audience loves football. It is the most popular sport in America. Sorry, baseball. It used to be baseball, but not anymore. The NFL has taken over as far as the king, and football in general is the king as far as sporting pastimes for Americans. I think the XFL is going to capitalize on a market that still loves football, and they still want to have their fixing of football. And they get it in the XFL where there's some NFL, former NFL players, former college players that you may know and remember. And these guys are still trying to get to the NFL or maybe they're just content with the XFL and are just trying to have fun playing a child's game. But I think the XFL has been a great idea. I think it's going to last beyond this year. And it wouldn't surprise me if this becomes a feeder system into the NFL where it's similar to a G League type of situation where, the, of course, the NBA has the G League, which is its minor league type system, but the G League players can get called up to the NFL or to the NBA. And it wouldn't surprise me if the XFL does this for some of these guys with XFL or with NFLs. Like, hey, we need some guys. Let's look at the XFL to see who we could get and who's been playing great. Maybe we'll call them up to the practice squad or something like that. But it wouldn't surprise me if that does happen as far as the XFL. But with that being said, this has been another edition of the End Zone here on WeGo91. Point one FM. Thank you for listening once again on another Tuesday show here in February 2020. If you want to follow us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter at Endzone Weagle at Endzone W E G L. I'm Javon Cutler. Thank you for listening to the End Zone and have a great rest of your week. Congrats, you've reached the end zone with Cutler and Cruz on Weagle 91.1. Make sure to tune in next Tuesday at 4 for all the trending sports news that you need. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at endzonewegl. Until next time.